Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Welcome to the table. Glad you're tuned in. Here it is. We're on Monday morning. We're uh, the, the Monday after Valentine's Day. And it is my great pleasure to be sitting across uh, a table in his uh, office in, uh, with uh, somebody I've been trying to get to the table from the very beginning. <laughs> it's been a minute. Tal Prince. Welcome, Tal. I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm glad it finally worked out. Huh. It's, it's, it was a challenge getting our calendars together. Well, I'm excited. I, uh, one of the things I, I don't necessarily think I've ever said this before, but I look to bring people to the table that resonate with me mm. on some level mm. and you are there's a few things i know about you but we've <laughs> never had a sit down conversation until no. uh -uh. today uh i believe you are one of the most creative communicators of the gospel that i have ever heard oh thank uh, you man i, I appreciate that I, i've heard you preach three different times at 16th Street Baptist Churches, Good Friday in black and white. Yes. And, and you bring something to that uh, very unique in that you preach messages in the first person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I enjoy first person narratives, man. I, I remember I saw one for the first time when I was in high school in Portland, Oregon. Um, I saw a pastor do that. Um, he did the Roman centurion sta sta standing at the foot of the cross during the crucifixion. Never forgot it, man. Uh, it just made the text come alive to me in a, in a different way. Um, and, and so it's that stuck with me. And through, so through seminary, I had uh, Calvin Miller. Uh, wow. as a professor in preaching. Uh, he had a class, Creative Preaching. Wow. Um, and I took that with him, and he became a mentor of mine for a while. And I don't know anybody more creative in a pulpit than Calvin. Um, he was something. I would have uh, loved that. Oh, man. He was a great class, man. He was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he made people nervous, which I also like. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I had a great time with him, learning from him, and, and he really encouraged me along first person. It's not the only thing I do, but I, f I find that, that at that Good Friday and black and white service, that people really identify with that. Yeah. And my first couple weren't first person narratives down there, but these last few have. Yeah. I'm Arthur, our, our, our mutual friend Arthur Price is gracious enough to invite me back for this year. And so I, th I, sh I think I'll get either word six or word seven. Those only two I hadn't done yet. Okay. And so I don't know if I'll do first person or not, but it's a strong possibility. Yeah, well, one of my favorites, you, 
you were the thief on the cross that <laughs> asked, remember me. Yeah. And just the, uh, the, I don't know, you do it well. I could, I think I've done a couple of first persons early on mm. in ministry. Yeah. I don't do them well. I sound stilted and uh, almost sound, but you just mm. embrace yourself in that individual and, and carry it off. And almost you, with that guy, and then also the last year where you were Malchus's servant. Uh, uh, Malchus, the oh, uh, Malchus. Yeah, Caiaphas's yeah. servant. Caiaphas yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and you you bring a, a what's the word I'm looking for? You bring an attitude to to <laughs> that's really really good. I appreciate uh, that. Uh, Not everybody likes that attitude, I don't think. But <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it resonates with me. I so. like it. Yeah, Malchus yeah. is a fun one, yeah. um, and that's what I why I like doing first person narratives is. It, it requires such a different level of preparation. You have to, I have to place myself in that time period and in that text and take a look around um, and really observe. Never dawned on me uh, until I was doing that that the that the 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 ear that Peter cut off of Malchus was his left ear, and that's the that's the ear that that he was a bond servant to Caiaphas, so he had a he had Caiaphas's cuff on his ear. He had his ear pierced with that earring in it that marked him as Caiaphas, belonging to Caiaphas. And so Peter's really attacking Caiaphas, not Malchus. Um, but when Jesus heals that ear, mm-hmm. there's no way that earring's there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have seen it that way uh, until I'm prepared until I'm really kind of working it from Malchus's perspective, you, you know. And so it's one of the things I love about doing first persons is I prepare a whole lot differently. It just, it's just different, man. It's fun. Yeah, tremendous insight. Oh, uh, man. Conveyed that day. I'm excited you're going to be back. There are two things in Birmingham. I live down toward Montgomery, but there are two things in Birmingham that I will not want to miss. One is Shades Mountains Christmas, Christmas Candlelight and mm. Shades, and the other is the Good Friday service at uh, 16th Street Baptist Church. Mm. I've been going mm. to that since 2013. I may have to miss it. I'm expecting a, a grandchild. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, man. Uh, but, awesome. uh, but I'm hoping she'll come afterwards or before so i'm hoping to be there so <laughs> that'd be great that'd be great for you either way man that's a win 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 yeah yeah a few other things i know about you you used to pastor tapestry of hope sure downtown did. birmingham yeah. and that particular church was uh focused on addicts or those who were yeah. addictive lifestyles but now you are a counselor and mm-hmm. the uh, director and therapist at uh, insights insights counseling center yeah so and also the last thing I'll throw in the mix is that you love. Uh, oh goodness, my, I, it's not coming to you. You love the Innocence Project. <laughs> I sure do, man. <laughs> I love that thing. Uh, if if I were falsely accused and in prison uh, and falsely convicted, I would want to know those guys were fighting for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've 
I've done a lot of prison work, um, and I've known innocent men in prison, um, and I've known innocent men in prison who were helped by the Innocence Project and 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 got out, uh, particularly down at Angola Prison, Louisiana State Pen, mm -hmm. uh, which I love to go down to and, and minister in. And uh, um, you know, it is our, our our system. I think most of us who don't come into contact with it just believe it works really well, mm -hmm. and that you know if they got convicted they're guilty um, and they they don't understand false confession they don't understand a lot of these things and they also don't want to really come to grips with just how dark the system can be um, and how racially motivated the system can be um, and, and so the Innocence Project is something that deeply resonates with me and I'm very supportive of them and their work to to free innocent people that have been falsely convicted and you know serving very very long sentences yeah. um, you know it's amazing to watch those those men and women come out of prison after serving 25 30 35 years for a crime they didn't commit mm -hmm. and not be extremely bitter yeah. um, you know and just be grateful to be out and uh, you know and grateful to those that helped them and um, it's just an amazing group of, of people to me um, you know and same with you know Brian Stevenson down yeah. you know down in Montgomery where you are I mean love their work man love it love it love it about a month ago I toured the Equal Justice Initiative Museum. Good. And it made an impact on me. I learned some things. I saw Just Mercy, which I'm sure you have yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to learn that one out of nine of every individual who has been on death row in the state of Alabama was innocent. Yeah. Is uh, like, oh my goodness. It's a staggering thought. Um, and when you start to look at, well, wait a minute, like, how willing are we to kill people? Mm hmm. Um, you know, and 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 I know. I think a lot of people go biblical on the death penalty, and I'm not trying to make a death penalty case. It's just a people go biblical with the death penalty in terms of well, I mean, you know, that that it, it ties back to Bible times, and you know, well, yeah, but you had to have two witnesses uh, to agree, and the and the and the biblical requirements of a trustworthy witness are nearly unattainable. Um, so it'd be really hard to make the case, mm -hmm. um, you know. And I just think, man, if we know there's any error rate, yeah, if there's any error rate at all, how do you, how do you t pull that switch? Yeah. You know, like I, and I, I, I have a, you know. All of my work down in Louisiana State Prison, Angola Prison, talked to the the warden at the time uh, that was there, and he had a really hard time with executions. You know, I had a really hard time with it, um, and I've spent a lot of hours talking to men on death row, um, and it's uh, they're great conversations because those guys are not talking about the weather. Yeah. Um, it's very existential, deep conversation with those men. Um, and you hadn't really lived until you've met a man on death row that goes by the name of Lucky. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just really hard. It, it's, I don't know how you can, can do it if you are not 100% convinced, you, you know, that this, there's no error in this. Yeah. 
Um, and Alabama's rate is one out of nine, yeah. and you know other states have different rates, but they all acknowledge an error rate. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, how do you do this? Like, <laughs> I walked away from that going, I need to be consistent on my stance on life. I'm pro-life mm -hmm. when it comes to the abortion issue, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I was just like, I've just changed positions on here in order to be consistent on both ends of that thing. Yeah, it's, to be pro-life, cradle to grave, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm similar. I'm 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 pro-life, but pro-life means what? Pro-life. Um, I think I think sadly a lot of us stop it at birth. Mm -hmm. um, like you know, so but to be pro-life is more than a clever way to say anti-abortion. It's mm -hmm. okay. Am I really truly pro-life? Uh, you know, and that means cradle to grave. Am I fighting for the life of people? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a different stance, and it's it's a challenge. It, it's a real challenge. And sometimes it's almost as if we convey, "All right, we got you here. We got you born. Now you're on your own." Yeah. And uh, make it happen. Yeah. You know, you, uh, the things, all the things I know about you. It's like I keep seeing a common theme in that you are uh, you are a well of hope for broken individuals, people who are struggling with brokenness, a well of redemption, if you will, mm -hmm. for a redemption's table. Uh, we could make this uh, podcast Redemption's Well, and uh, I, I, it has been my observation from my own life and the lives of others that we uh, are not out here on the front lines of redemption that strongly unless we ourselves have been deeply impacted by brokenness in our own lives mm -hmm. and recognize who we are, where we are, you know, and how would you respond to that? Who is Tal Prince? For those <laughs> tuned in listening, who is Tal Prince? Uh, the existential question. <laughs> um, it, you know, yeah, I completely agree with what you just said in terms of I think anybody that is fighting hard for the redemption of others is understands their own um, and their own need for it and their and their gratitude for it um, and how bad it got you know I mean um, I moved 14 times as a kid growing up uh, became very comf comfortable becoming a cultural chameleon because what I wanted from anybody more than anything was acceptance uh, you know being a new kid every couple of years is hard um, and so I just kind of learned what I need to do to fit in um, and along that journey got exposed to hardcore pornography in a treehouse when I was eight years old um, uh, which is really young um, you know but uh, I man there's nothing better as a young boy in a, in a new neighborhood to get invited to the treehouse man that's like the oval office of all kingdom that's you've made it um, and so you don't say no to that invitation. I had no idea what was up in there. Um, but that became a very a, a profound moment in my life, a life-altering moment in my life. And any time I had pain, any time I had discomfort, I would go to that treehouse. Uh, so where there was pain, there was porn. That's just how my life was arranged mm -hmm. uh, for a very long time. And um, as we moved, I found other sources for that. Um, I, I sexually active before I was 13 years old, uh, putting into practice all porn had taught me. Now, all along this time, I've been in church since I was a fetus. Uh, there's never a time I hadn't been there. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the doors are open. You know, my mom had me there. And 
so I was living a double life and didn't know what to really do about that. I, but I was convinced, man, absolutely stone convinced that if I said to anybody uh, what I was struggling with and battling, they would bring back stoning, man. I just knew they would. <laughs> and I would be out in the street. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, and I didn't find, sadly, the church to be a safe place, um, you know, for that. And so I didn't know what to really do with it. And it, it, that just became a deeper problem all throughout my life. And then I did what a lot of people do. And we will say the following thing. You know what? I'll get married and that'll fix it. Because mm -hmm. no one tells you that marriage doesn't fix your problems. Um, you know, and no one tells you that marriage puts your problems on steroids. No one tells you. Yeah. Um, and so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, we all kind of want to go for that Jerry Maguire, you complete me thing, um, and the really right line that Renee Zellweger should have said in that, in the scriptwriter's known life, um, the you know that that Tom Cruise would have said in that moment is, "You complicate me." That's what your spouse <laughs> is there for, um, and and they're there to refine you, and they're there to knock hard edges off of you, and and no one prepares you for that um, unless you get your premarital counseling here at insights counseling center and we prepare you for that no <laughs> um but you know I, so marriage didn't fix it it made it worse um i just had to lie more and um finally you know my wife and i got help for everything and and got into counseling and got through that and learned that wow this is actually a really big problem i thought i was the only one nope not even close uh and, and so that was really helpful and um you know through all of that we started uh we started tapestry of hope and started that as a church for people struggling particularly with you know with porn sexual brokenness infidelity in the marriage and and all that and man we we did that for a, a number of years as, as god just took all of that brokenness and story and i mean as soon as we would talk about it anywhere i mean people would come out of the woodwork mm -hmm. like you know like oh man like we got the same thing or like oh man could you help us and um you know so that's where my speaking ministry started i you know and it was just, it just kind of took off from there in terms of i got a radio show on sirius satellite radio we ran for about seven years wow. and, and um ran that on sunday nights we're the only live talk show on on sunday nights talking to a lot of truck drivers um, which was a fascinating thing to do and I became a national speaker an international speaker and then I got an agent which still freaks me out um, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, uh, you know it's just a, a crazy thing and 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 then um, went and got my counseling degree so I could do a better job actually counseling people that have this mm -hmm. as a opposed to just kind of telling them, hey, here's what our counselor told us, or hey, here's what I think the Bible says, to go get trained in it, to, also, to give them, here's, here's biblically what we're talking about, and also here's neuroscience, and here's what's going on, and here's how you can you know, get clear of this stuff, here's the work. Um, you know, so I'm real passionate about helping people um, in all areas of sexuality. I think the church doesn't do a great job. It's a um, taboo subject still. Yeah, and and so uh, you know, kind of the messages don't do until you're married. Mm -hmm. um, and then we all expect after a magical 20-minute ceremony that now everybody's going to go have a great time and know exactly what to mm -hmm. do. 
Um, but you've got like 20, 25 years of no in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's unreal. I mean, it's just so rough what we do. Um, and we don't talk about sex and sexuality. We don't talk about God's design, you know, other than, hey, save it for marriage. Um, really kind of the way I frame it up, man, is is what we've, as the church, have done is we've abdicated our role and we've allowed a terminated manufacturer's rep to sell the product. Mm. Um, and, and and Satan has absolutely no uh, reason to sell it correctly and doesn't. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just because we're nervous and uncomfortable. You, you know, I mean... And it's part of who we are. It's part of who God created us. From yes. The beginning. Yes. Uh, Sexuality has a lot more to do with our identity, who we are, how we interact, than just how genitals interact. Yeah. Um, and we just don't talk about it that way. And, and, you know, spirituality is how I relate to God on a vertical plane. Sexuality is how I relate to others on a horizontal plane. Mm-hmm. Um, any type of connection, there's, there's sexuality in that. There's not sexual activity in that. That's different. Uh, but we need to be able to talk about those things. We need to be able to talk with our kids about those things because they're getting exposed to porn earlier than I was mm-hmm. um, and and there's a bottomless pit of it I had to wait a month for four new pictures to come out um, uh, you know mm-hmm. I got into it back in the print days and mm-hmm. now it's, there's more porn on the internet right now than one person can see in a lifetime wow. and there's more being thrown on every day wow. um, you know so there's you know it's called the Coolidge effect the brain loves novelty mm-hmm. and so you'll just keep you know as more novelty you'll keep going well that's what the internet's designed to do yeah. um, and, and so people People are diving so much deeper into that and so much faster and, and our, our young people are being sexually educated by porn uh, and the church remains silent um, and so they don't have an alternative view they don't have anything to compare that to um, and that's gonna we're gonna see some real damaging impact from that here in the next couple of years because hmm. we're just seeing the first waves of the internet generation hmm reach adulthood and get married and so we're just starting to see that I see it in here every week it's it's disturbing wow your insight counseling yeah is is the name of your uh, counseling center yeah is this the primary focus of your counseling here premarital Mm -hmm. marital uh, porn uh, yeah, my pr- our primary focus here is sexual addiction, pornography addiction, infidelity, uh, and kind of the the family issues that go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously a lot of marriage work. I do a lot of couples work. Um, not all of it's all related to porn mm-hmm. and sex, but that's kind of the bulk of what I do. But you know, people with other issues come in here, and you know, and we help them. And, uh, but yeah, porn, sex addiction, infidelity, marital stuff. That's really kind of where we live here. What would you say to somebody who said? Um, therapy is for someone who has problems. I don't have problems. Well, how would you respond to that? I would say pride is a problem, and you should get an appointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know of anybody that doesn't have problems, man. Right. Genesis 3 is still in my Bible. Um, you know, so the fall is very, very real. Um, how the Imago Dei, the image of God, got distorted in me in the fall is different than how it got distorted in you. But uh, the rebuilding process, the restoration process that we call sanctification, that journey, man, you got to deal with your stuff, yeah. man. You got to deal with your challenges and issues. Um, I wouldn't say not everybody.
everybody quote unquote needs therapy, but everybody benefit from it. I believe and, I agree with you. And if you're in ministry at any level, like you just need a therapist so that you know you've got somebody that's HIPAA compliant and can't can't rat you out to anybody can't talk about what you share in here because ministry is a lonely and difficult place yeah everybody expects different from you yeah put you on a pedestal you put yourself on a pedestal you set yourself up oh man um absolutely and uh, it's a challenge man it's a hard place and you you know and i don't know if any pastors listening to the show have ever had somebody they didn't like in their congregation um <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but you can't say anything right because yeah. somebody may you know for political motivation just sell you out you know so you can't do anything it's, it's an old study now but the, there was a study years ago on on pastors wives the survey uh and 80 percent of pastors wives wish their husband would choose a new line of work i i understand that right firsthand there's not a lonelier place than the pastor's wife yeah you can't have friends in the church because you know you're going to have people over well now this family is upset that they don't ever get invited over um and all of that those group of people they're the pastor's favorites and you're just there's nowhere to go it's hard man it's hard um and pastors with other pastors now these days tend to kind of view each other as competitors as as opposed to allies uh you know and so they they don't form networks together as much mm-hmm. um you know and a lot of the associations are kind of having a, a hard time getting anybody to show up for you know they'll show up at national convention but they ain't gonna show up um, at the association meeting, um, you know, and, and so pastors are siloed off, you know, there's all kind of individual silos and lonely and, uh, their wives are lonelier and it's hard out there, man. It's hard. I remember one time going into a pastor's meeting. I lived in a small town, very Mayberry like community (laughs) and, uh, they were paving a new, uh, slab for the brand new firehouse that was to come and the local concrete guys were coming out at 4 35 a.m in the morning about a block from my house paving this thing yeah. dumping the concrete and this yeah. went on for about four or five mornings and <laughs> and I, I went out there one morning it was like don't you know it was in the middle of a residential area and i went yeah. out there and by the grace of god i did not get into a fight with the concrete truck driver because I just went down there, look, see, get the number off the side of his door, and I was going to call the company and complain. Mm-hmm. And he he said, uh, "What are you doing, with my door?" He was up at the top, and I said, you know, "I'm getting <laughs> the number." He said, "Don't touch my door." I slammed it, and I said, "What are you going to do about it?" And he came down the ladder, and uh, we both cooled off at the same. You were ready to rumble, I man. I was that close. Well, I went into the pastors' meeting and shared that with my fellow pastors. Yeah, you would have thought I had two or three heads. You know, it's just like crickets. They just looked at me like. How dare you yeah. be human? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm notoriously human. I am. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you and me both, man. There's great freedom in it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freedom is a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. You, um, so how long have you been here at uh, doing the council? 
Well, I, I, I tell you, I've been counseling for over 20 years, a lot of that at a pastoral level, okay. but I've been, um, I've been a professional counselor for, man, uh, six, seven, eight years. Now I don't track it, but, um, you know, we've been in this location here at Insights. Um, we've been here for uh, about a year and a half now in this location. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a couple other therapists that work here, and my wife is currently pursuing her master's in clinical mental health, and okay. and uh, so she'll be here too, um, assuming she wants to work with me. Uh, you know, so she'll be here, and that'll be great. You and I were talking as we we're getting set up. Both of us have been to seminary, and you made the comment: yeah. seminary does not pre prepare a minister to counsel. Uh -uh. And, I, and I agree with that because it's like, okay, somebody comes in your office, they sit down, you can go down into the well with them, yeah. but then leading them out or having the tools mm -hmm. necessary to lead them out is something that I found, that I, that I don't know, I don't know how to give some people a ladder because yeah. of the depths of where they are. Yeah, I think that's right, man. I mean, I think it's a, a feel for pastors because very often the expectation is is that you have the answer, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. you're sitting in your office and somebody's sitting across from you and they're telling you about all these dark things in their marriage or in their life. And, um, man, you think you ought to know how to handle that because you know Greek and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Um but you don't know neuroscience and you don't know mental health and you, you know, you just, it's a hard place. And so um, I find that a lot of pastors just kind of give dismissive answers mm -hmm. just to try and, well, well, you know, take two scriptures and call me in the morning and, <laughs> um, and then pray a little bit harder and we'll be there. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's so much more than that very often. There's so much trauma involved and there's, um, there's deep family of origin issues and abuse and all these things. I mean, if you take a look at a standard congregation, um, if you look out uh, over any congregation on any given Sunday morning, you, you have a bare minimum of one out of three of the every, women out, every woman out there has been, is a survivor of sexual abuse. Um, Man, it takes more than, hey, well, here's what the Bible says about that. Yeah. Um, and one out of every six men has been sexually abused, uh, you know, and then you've got divorce and then you've got abortion and then you've got all these different things that are represented out there that seminary didn't prepare you to how to counsel, you know, counsel that, yeah. provide any type of healing uh, work. And, geez, you don't really have the time. Yeah. I, I mean, good night. It's so hard for a pastor to find the time to sit and just be patient and counsel somebody, um, you know, because you've got you, Sunday's coming. you got to have a sermon. Um, and seminary's going to teach you. At least ours did at Beeson. It was like, well, you need to... General rule, you need a minute of study for every minute of sermon, or an hour of study for every minute of sermon. So you need a bare minimum of 30 hours yeah. of study. Well, that leaves you 10 for counseling, meetings, hospital visits, and the other stuff. If you work just 40 um, hours a week, which most Yeah, right. And so it's just nuts. I mean, the demands are high, so you don't have the time, then you find you don't have patience. 
uh, you know, for it. Like, man, look, she's here the third week in a row telling me about this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I find a lot of pastors don't know how to work with counselors and don't have a kind of good network of counselors locally where they are to use. Um, And I, man, I really suggest pastors, you know, set up a lot of meetings with local counselors and find out who they are, what their perspective is, how they're trained, um, you know, and what they specialize in. Just to kind of build a Rolodex of counselors that you know are at your disposal and mm-hmm. to be able to refer out to that you trust. Yeah. You know, because it's hard. Um, it, it's a real challenge out there. And so there's so many issues that are just so much more. Uh, I think pastors are absolutely capable of handling a lot of things. But my kind of general rule of thumb is if, you, if, if you've had more than four or five meetings with this person, mm-hmm. you need to refer them on to yeah. a professional. It, you know, that it's, it's probably deeper than uh, what, you're, what you're getting in your office. Yeah. If we could run an X-ray over our congregation, and maybe even you know for the whole church to, to know, not so that they could see everybody's problems. I don't mean that, but if we realized all the brokenness that people are carrying around in their lives, I think it would hopefully make us a whole whole lot more empathetic. Oh man, a whole lot more yeah. Christ-like, a whole lot more more guarded in what we throw up on our social media. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just understanding that sometimes, you know, the things that are said are said in such a way that push people away rather than draw them close to Christ. Uh, Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's uh, um, we're very often far more polarizing than attracting. Um, and, And that's. That's painful to realize, but it's just true. Yeah. It's just true. And we think it's the other side, whoever the other side is, throwing the rocks at us, mm-hmm. when in reality we've been shooting them out there right and left. It's Yeah. I've been saying this for the last few years. We have lost the ability to reason. Oh, yeah. In Isaiah chapter 1, God through the prophet Isaiah, you know, that was his call to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, come now, come, let, let us, us reason. reason together. Yeah, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. But we've got to meet out here. We've got to reason. We've got yeah, to. we don't reason. We, we that's gone right now. There's not because uh, we we don't have room for disagreement. Our yeah. rhetoric is too hot. Yeah. If you if you talk to somebody, uh, you know, in contemporary culture, and they disagree, they will label the person who disagrees with them a hater so if you disagree with me you hate me mm-hmm. like I, I'm, I can love you and disagree with you like it would be all right yeah, yeah. Um, but the label is hatred uh, for disagreement and it's as if if you disagree with me you don't like me um, and you hate me and I have to I either have to convince you to my side or write you off this yeah. is now a win or lose proposition and not a like oh well, that's interesting um, you know I hadn't thought about that I see how you see that I, I don't see it that way but I certainly understand how you get there yeah. I mean we just don't have that it, it's, it's way too hot our rhetoric is too hot. Um, our, our our politicians are way too hot. Yeah. Um, and there's so much fear running the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, a, I think Americans overall, if you look at everybody, you would say America's really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of anger on media all the time, TV news. I mean, everybody's really mad. But anger is a fear-based emotion. Mm-hmm. We're really a frightened group of people. 
Um, you know, and a lot of Christians are afraid that the that the left is coming for us. Uh, you know, and they they want to take everything away from us, and so we're we're responding as you know out of fear, um, and we've completely lost sight of God's sovereignty, uh, which is the height of irony for me. Um, yeah. You know, they were like, "Oh man, the left is coming for us," and I'm like, hey, "Relax." I mean, <laughs> either God's in charge or He's not. Like, you know, I'm I'm just gonna be cool with what happens here. I, you know, yeah, we have roles and responsibilities, but man, do we need to be this afraid? Like, yeah. um, you know, it's just a different thing, and yeah. it's just a different, different thing. We're really fearful, and both sides are fearful, and that means both sides are angry, um, and we and we consume too much media. The the TV news job is to keep you afraid. Yeah. Uh, has been for a long time because they're business and they are there to make money and how do they make money is impressions impressions means eyes how many pairs of eyes are watching so they got to keep you locked in how do they keep you locked in by keeping you afraid yeah uh and so we watch way too much i i, I miss the days when news was half hour it turns out that's all the news there is in a day yeah. Um, and still had time for a cute animal story, um, <laughs> you know. So now it's twenty four hours, and so it's just constant circling around the same thing. Um, it's it's really kind of obsessive. Yeah, I was a revivalist for seven years. And yeah, I spent a lot of time in people's homes and farmhouses, ranch houses. Get up in the morning and six a.m. Fox News, CNN, whichever what was their preference right. on, and it's on all through the day. Yeah. It's like you got that voice just constantly chipping away at you, telling you what Never you stops. should believe. And, uh, Never stops. Uh, you hear a lot of things. As a counselor, you <laughs> hear a lot of pain. Yeah. How do you recalibrate from hearing so much brokenness? How do you keep yourself empathetic? It's a good question, man. Um, you know, I have just some little rituals that I do here before I leave every day, because uh, I can't take all this home. My family not ready for it. Uh, <laughs> they don't want it. Uh, you know, so I have to you know leave here what's here, um, and, and so um, I pray through all of my clients for the day. Um, pray through the issues that have come out in my in my office for the day and I and I just I physically give those to God and say these are yours to deal with these are not mine uh, I'm gonna leave them with you here uh, you know before I leave and then I gotta I gotta take care of myself mm-hmm. um, I gotta have good boundaries I gotta have good internal boundaries um, you know, I gotta kind of limit the number of clients I can see. Um, you know, because I'll battle workaholism in a minute, mm-hmm. and and so and if I think I can help somebody, I'll be like, oh man, I, I have a hard time saying no. Um, you know, if I think somebody can get in here and I can help them, I'm like, man, I'll, I'll yeah, okay. You know, I'll stay here till seven, eight o'clock, and you know, and uh, you know, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Um, so I have to shut it off and and put things in place to where now I don't I don't answer the phone um, you know I've got people who are very comfortable saying no for me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's also one of the gifts of having an agent for my speaking things because I can 
you know, I can tell him, man, no, I need not to do that. And he'll go tell the people no, and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's better for me. Um, I got to exercise. Um, you know, I got to do all the base things for self-care uh, that are important. You know, got to watch the, the things we can all watch, diet, sleep, exercise. We got control over those things. Yeah. Uh, so I got to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm eating well. I'm, I'm getting enough rest in the, in, you know, in the night. I'm sleeping enough. Um, you know, because the brain does its healing work while you sleep, you know, and so getting the right amount of sleep is really kind of important. Mm -hmm. Your brain replaces all of its tissue, all of it, every six to eight years. It's unreal. Really? Yeah, it's unreal. Wow. It's unreal. <coughs> um, and so it's doing that work at night while you're sleeping. Mm. Um, and so you got to get enough sleep so your brain's actually healing and, re <coughs> and, and repairing. Um, and so diet, sleep, and we got to be exercising. I don't, you know, I'm not like you got to be in the gym every day, but you know, if you get your heart rate up for 30 minutes at least three times a week, that's good. Yeah. Uh, you need that positive neurochemistry. You, you know, you need that. But I also have to have the time to connect. I'm, I'm a dad. I got two <laughs> girls. Uh, they're 18 and 15, and so we're right in the thick of it. And so we're, teenagers. Uh, right. Yeah, man. I mean, come on. So keep it exciting. Um, and so I got to have. Time time for them and I got to have time for my wife and uh, you know so it's it's having rigid boundaries and structure and self-care and but really you know understanding that it's God doing the healing here not me and it's God responsible for that and not me because um, as quick as I am to laugh about American Christians kind of losing sight of God's sovereignty over politics I'll lose sight of it here yeah um, you know I'll be like oh man these people need me no no they do not uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so I got to remind myself of that. Yeah. With all that you see, uh, I'm going to kind of turn the table here yeah. just a little bit. Where have you seen the goodness of God lately? I, I, I you know, I see it in here every day. Um, I had a um, when I get to be in a position. I think one of my strengths and gifts as a counselor, it's why I called it the Place Insights Counseling Center, um, is just God has given me a discernment and a unique insight into things. And when I can connect dots for people and watch them have that just monstrous light bulb moment of like, oh, wow, this is why I do that. Um, it's an amazing thing, man. Like, I, I don't know if there's ever, if I ever experience a more holy moment than that. Wow. You know, when, when we can point out, like, here's the thing. Like, look, it's this right here. Um, and this is why you're doing this. It's the same thing. And you watch that. It's amazing. I do a lot of trauma therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody's got trauma. And, and um I, to watch somebody process a trauma, um, to allow you into that place, to trust you with that, and to then guide them through a process to work through that so that they can process it, understand it, and be done with it because mm -hmm. so much of our maladaptive behavior is trying to correct trauma that happened to us when we were younger and we don't realize we're doing it 
Um, there's a reason I work for myself now. It's, I'm, I'll pick the wrong boss every time. <laughs> I, 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 I pick a guy that is going to not be good to me. Hmm. Um, and because I'm trying to resolve a trauma. Um, you know, and so I will do that, and 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 so I, I finally learned. <laughs> so I don't work for other people anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, because I'll put myself in an awful position. Yeah. Um, you know, because I try and win their approval and try and work really hard for them, and then it's never going to work. And it's bad, man. It's bad. So now I work for for me, and that's good. Um, so those moments, though, when you work through a trauma with a, you know, with a client, it's mm. such a, a precious time. Uh, and when they're leaving here, like, wow, I feel so much freer. Uh, man, that that's just God's goodness in that moment. Yeah. Uh, and and thankfully, you know, if 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 you care about and are passionate about redemption, man, working with addicts is no better place. You see it all the time. Yeah. You know, I got a lot of alcoholics and a lot of, um, you know, I've got some opiate addicts on my caseload and I got lots of sex addicts on my caseload. And man, when you watch them get it uh, and and get in touch with what redemption really is and you see that, man, I I don't know how you don't want to come to work every day. Yeah. 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 I'm grateful for a counselor in my life about almost 10 years ago and just going to see him for about two years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I learned something in that two-year period. <clears throat> uh, everybody has a, a soul punch coming. Uh, that's kind of how I felt for a couple of years. I felt like, and one day, I, I, I think in terms of punch, and uh, <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I feel like I've been hole punched. And then I thought, no, I've been soul punched. Mm-hmm. And I thought I invented, it had invented something and mm-hmm. looked. First thing anybody who writes does, get online, see if it's. Right. Has anybody ever said that before? Is that mine? You know, no, it wasn't. Uh, it's Urban Dictionary. You know, it's uh, out there. The soul punch is when uh, there's been a punch laid on you so hard that it wounds your soul. Yeah. And I, I know that we have an enemy who is not omniscient but he takes very good notes on us and he knows exactly where to lay the punch Mm -hmm. and eventually every person will face that moment Mm -hmm. and have that soul punch oh yeah and the design is to take us out Mm -hmm. uh, so i'm grateful for for individuals like yourself who stand in the gap who come alongside who comfort uh with the same comfort that that uh you have experienced firsthand yourself so Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed our time together. I wish we could just kind of keep this going. Talk movies, <laughs> talk soccer, talk New Orleans. Soccer, you, baby. You went to New Orleans here recently? I, I did. Yeah, so. I did. I took my godson down there. He'd never been down there. And he, he's from Eugene, Oregon. He hadn't been much anywhere. I love um, New Orleans. Yeah. And if you've, you know, if you've grown up in Oregon, man, New Orleans is a whole other universe. So, yeah, we took him down there. Had a good time. And, yeah, I, I love going down there. I, I love, love the jazz. Uh, I okay. love New Orleans jazz. I love the food. Those are my two favorites. Yeah, places. man, that's it. We I we I took them to the Preservation Hall, watched the Preservation oh, Hall jazz band. And that's yeah. my favorite group right there. They're awesome, man. A lot of fun. Just legends, man. We, just, we were talking. Everybody thinks you're Cajun. 
They do, man. Huh. They do. I, I, and you're not. I'm not. I've not lived a day in Louisiana. <laughs> I, I, I spent uh, 14 years. I, well, I moved 14 times growing up as a kid, and so my accent is from all over the country, and that's really what Cajuns are. At the end of the day, it's just a, a mishmash of a whole bunch of different accents. Jumbalaya. There's a lot of Spanish, French influence, and Haitian, and Bahamas, and Jamaicans. And it's just this mishmash of accents and cultures. And um, but I, I do a lot of work in Angola Prison, Louisiana State Pen, and. and um, the Cajuns in the prison think I'm Cajun. They'll come up and start speaking Cajun to me. I have no idea what they're saying. Um, and they get really upset because they think I'm lying to them. I'm like, I, dude, I have no idea what you just said to me. Um, you know, but they all think I'm a Cajun. And, and uh, you know, when it comes to football, I'm an LSU fan. Um, <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. You know, why? Because we moved it. When we came to Alabama, um, everybody asked us, who you for? And I was determined to be for neither one of them. Um, and at the time, Les Miles was coaching LSU, and I just thought he was the most entertaining person in all of college football. Um, I still believe that. Uh, and and so, uh, and working in the prison and stuff, doing down there, uh, you know, and, and I love New Orleans, and so I'm like, yeah, okay, um, I'm gonna go with LSU. That's gonna be our team. And so that's that's been the thing, um, you know. So uh, if I had to adopt a state as home, I'd probably pick Louisiana. Um, you know, just because I, I do, I love it down there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're in Alabama. <laughs> and I'm glad I know who you are. Well, I'm glad and, to know you, man. And, and I'm looking forward to being back at uh, 16th Street this Good Friday. 16th Street. Yeah. If you're up here on the first Sunday in March, I'll be at the Star. Uh, okay. The new rising yeah, star, Thomas, Thomas Beavers. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get Thomas to the table, too. He, uh, it's going to yeah. take a little longer with him. We so. belong to the star, my yeah. family and I. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it out there. And, and Thomas is a great guy, man. He's a great, great guy. Great vision. Great preacher, man. Yeah. I hate following him at at 16th Street, um, and I had to, I had to follow him like three years in a row. I'm like, man, come on, Arthur, give me a break, um, you know. So uh, yeah, Thomas is a uniquely gifted man. He's, he he's a wonderful guy, man. I love him to death. Uh, so yeah, I get to fill in for him on the first Sunday in March. So it'll be fun. If I wasn't preaching down in Hope Hall, Alabama. Look, man, just bring them all on up. We'll do that. <laughs> well, thank you, Tal, for coming to the table. Thank you, man. For those of you who are tuned in, thank you for listening. And we'll be right back here next Monday morning. You hear the call go out. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. Until next week, thank you again. Bye.